Welcome to Stall Warning, a show talking all things lacrosse. I'm your host, Machito Ojeda, and joining me today is MCLA President Ken Lovick. Ken, how you doing? Doing great today. You doing all right? I'm doing well. I mean, if you listen to our other podcast, which of course everyone did, they know that we're talking on the same day, just 10 minutes later. <laughs> so I'm, I'm not a lot has changed in today. No, I don't need a nap between them yet, so I'm not that old. So I think, I'm, I think I'll be okay. <laughs> Yeah, I had to turn the lights on. I I, I got moved to the basement. I, so my office used to be on the second floor, and my wife decided that that was not a good spot for us because um, she did not like sharing an office with me. Um, for <laughs> read between the lines on that one. Uh, so I got shoved to the basement. So I live in like a little corner of the house, and uh, it was it was getting dark. So I need to turn the lights on. The natural I, light is not I there. I understand it well. I, you know, my wife's been home obviously working for the last few months and. Uh, we're actually getting ready to start a renovation, um, just for the fact that we, she needs an office space, you know, to be outside the house. And, uh, I was actually talking to EJ, uh, assistant coach, whose wife, you know, is usually travels. She's usually on the road, you know, four or five days a week and then comes home. And so she's been home for, you know, two plus months and he's like, we built their office, but it wasn't built to hold two people, <laughs> you know, full time. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's a problem. Right. That's a it's funny, right? You, you get married and you, you love sniffing other, but like half the time you're like, gosh, I just need to not be right. in the same room. <laughs> I think that's what you hear from your parents all the time. Like I know talking to my, you know, my dad traveled a ton for work um, when I was growing up. He'd same thing. He'd be gone every Sunday, come home every Thursday or Friday. Um, and the hardest part, my mom said fully of their marriage was when he retired. <laughs> the hardest part was, well, you're home. Why are you home? <laughs> you know, she has her schedule and her format. All of a sudden, my dad's rough on those feathers because he's not, <laughs> you know, yeah. you know, so, but my dad was able to keep himself busy, but still, yeah, that's uh, sure that you know, just kind of like what we're all dealing with in this you know, current pandemic is you start to learn new routines and you have to learn new ways of, of, of getting along and <laughs> learning to live together. Yeah. Oh man. I, my wife has told me numerous times, like, you know, things were much easier when you were, when you were coaching and you were gone, <laughs> you weren't here you know, interfering with it. Right. And I'm like, well, you're probably right. Actually. Exactly. Yeah. We, we all know it. Well, it was, I, after, that was probably the, I hate to say the hardest thing. And we have, you know, shared calendar on our phones. This, we all know what's going on between us and our son and boy, right. deleting all those things was just, oh, just ate away at your heart, but it was understandable. It was the right thing, but it was still tough after, especially, I mean, it's, it's your first year at your school. And so I know right. the energy level was high. I mean, even, you know, 25 years later, I still get the excitement for, you know, our season national tournament for MCLA. I mean, it's the first one I've missed in however many years now. So it's just something you, you always look forward to, to being a part of. And, you know, right. it's just, again, a new way of looking at things. Oh man, it was it was jittery. I mean, I was I was so bummed. We you know we left we left for Florida on Monday. Uh, I think that's March 9th was the date. So we just lost to Clemson on Sunday in a game that we didn't play very well, and, and Clemson played great and they they beat us handily. Um, and it was like, oh man, tough loss. Yeah, we didn't. We were really bummed about it and sour taste in our mouth. You know, you know, we have those losses, and you're just like, I gotta wash this out somehow. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so we get on the bus. Everything's normal. There's no real like threats of anything going on. It didn't seem like. And we get down to, to Florida, and, and by the time Wednesday night hit, we weren't even sure we were going to get to our, play our game against Florida State. And then once we got the game in and got that big W, it was like, oh, great, feels feels good. We're we're going in the right direction. And then it was like, boom, season gone, you know, and just uh, so such a rush of emotion and stressful, and like it was a major bummer. I mean, I we did our senior night um, on a out in front of the bus. 
you know, at like midnight on Wednesday night because we weren't really sure what was going to happen. I was like, this might be it, guys. You know? Yeah, that was, yeah, probably in hindsight, that was my biggest decision I didn't make with our guys because we had a game on Friday the 13th. Um, and up until two o'clock, the game was on. School was all for it. You know, we had, right. you know, we had Dominican all the way from California here. And um, at like 2.30, they pulled the plug and I spent, you know, two hours phone calling every coach I knew to find out if there's any way we can move the game to their field. You know, since in, in, of course, most schools are, are done the same thing. They already shut their facilities down. You couldn't be on right. campus. Um, I got really close with one field. And next thing I know, you know, it's like three hours have passed. I got to tell the Dominican or keep them, I, I, keeping them abreast of this whole situation. But in the end, we just had to pull the plug. And now spring break starts the next day for us. And so a lot of guys are like, they already, I mean, this is the t- same time the game would have been over. So now they're all getting ready to depart. And I was like, oh man, I missed that opportunity to bring them all back together. But like you said, you know, we really thought, oh, we'll be back by, you know, end of, you know, e- you know end of March sometime, maybe middle of April, we'll be good to go. Uh, and so I think a lot of MCLA teams were kind of hoping for that as well. Uh, but in the end, it, it clearly grew bigger than we thought. So it was, it was the right decision in the end. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And then we all end up staying home for two months. Right. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and we're all, ready to do something different so let's talk about something different let's talk about the uh mcla and you know i want to touch on a couple things uh i thought this would be a good chance to give some people some mcla history maybe kind of the formational league um you know obviously there's a lot there but let's let's do the uh the uh elevator version um because i'm not sure that everyone knows kind of how the league was formed and how it started i know you were uh around during some of that time uh with sunny and uh jason lamb and Mickey Miles and all those guys who were kind of the key key players in that. Yeah, I mean, a lot of those guys did uh, obviously a lot of legwork long before I was able to get involved. I mean, you know, again, not really knowing where I was going to be and everything else. Uh, you know, back in the you know late nineties, early two thousands. Um, you know, you know, Sonny and Jason, all those guys that, that laid the foundation of this stuff. You know, just like when the SCLC started, where you know they just really wanted to see something bigger and better than what was currently in place something with more commitment, something with a national tournament, something that, you know, meant something in other words. And, and, the, right. and the foresight those guys had and the passion they had was, was unreal. I mean, it was just, cause I, I remember working a couple early national tournaments in the two thousands and, you know, back when there was USL MDIA and it was, it was, you know, a phenomenally run event with, you know, so many great guys and a lot of people are still involved in the MCLA, whether it's just putting up banners, running the score tables, whether it's, you know, creating, you know, websites, you know, everything across the board. I mean, it was done, done so well, um, that it was really fun to kind of, I hate to say I was sort of a passenger. I was just watching and watching these guys dedicate so much time and energy. And, you know, I didn't want to overstep my boundaries by any means. I worked within the conference at the time. Uh, you know, we had some turnover there within a conference leadership. So I was happy to step into that role. Um, and then eventually, uh, we were with the U.S. Lacrosse for a long time. They're sort of our, I don't know, if you, I mean, I'm not sure what the title going to use is, but um, uh, but it's it was more of a, um, uh, it, it was, it was it, you know, there were some guys leaving the board and there were some openings coming up. Uh, I'm sorry, I, I missed a step there. But the point was we decided, you know, when the MCLA started that the we didn't need U.S. Lacrosse anymore. Nothing against them. Um, we just right. wanted to control our own narrative going forward. Uh, they were wonderful supporters. I mean, they did a great job of their national tournament for a number of years. We enjoyed having them right. as, as, as leadership and, and information 
um, and guidance along that way. I mean, Jody and all of his guys were, were wonderful, but you know, we decided we wanted to have something again ourselves and wanted to, you know, ramp up a little bit of our commitment and dedication and dues and all that because we wanted to increase our national tournament. Um, and so that's when all it started. I remember sitting in the hotel room and I was a part of it um, when the passion really got moving forward with it. And so the MCLA was created. Uh, and, and really, we've just got some, we've been so lucky to have so many amazing people that really got this thing off the ground and, and right. helped build it to where it is today. Was, uh, was JP the first president once it was the MCLA or was there someone before him? Pretty sure it was JP. Pretty sure it went JP, yeah. Tony, and then myself. We haven't had a lot of a lot of turnover in terms of uh, right. in terms of who the leadership have been in terms of the presidents, probably because nobody else wants this job. <laughs> um, <laughs> Thank, but, it's a thankless job. So thanks for doing it. We appreciate <laughs> it. Trust me. I know you, you have a lot more work than you signed up for. It gives um, me something to do at nighttime when all those West Coast guys need to have phone calls at nine o'clock <laughs> in the East Coast time, as you know. <laughs> yeah. Like, so, geez. I mean, so it was like a, you, JP and Tony and yourself and like Mike Anala and Doug Carl, uh, uh, were kind of some key players. I assume Robinette was also involved in some of that stuff. Uh, well, he was a conference director. So he was on the board. Um, you know, like Chris Larson was our original secretary from the beginning. Right. Um, so yeah, we, and we've, you know, it sort of bounced around a little bit. I mean, I was the treasurer um, when we were getting started. I remember, you know, uh, writing all the checks and things like that, you know, so then and thankfully Anna came along um, and has done an amazing job with it. Cause we were sort of just, you know, again, I was a PE major. Our, my job was just to <laughs> make sure we could get the rest paid, pay our facilities, everything else. But you know, that was the big thing when the MCLA started was increasing those dues. I mean, that was a big jump for us because we wanted to be on our own. And again, we really wanted to kind of ramp up a lot of things we were doing, especially our national tournament. And so right. with that being that we moved our dues to $2,000 and, you know, thankfully because of some good responsibility by Anna and a lot of things we do that we've been able to keep it at $2,000, um, you know, however many years later, gosh, it's been over 10 years. So it's sure. great that we continue to operate within that budget and try to be fiscally responsible, you know, to the member teams. And yeah, so it's, uh, we, we've had a number of guys coming in and out of the doors over the years. Uh, but, but, but conference director wise, in terms of like the Stocktons and the, you know, um, you know, guys like uh, Gary Podesta, who, who was with the WCL for a long time, obviously, and is our competition coordinator. You know, even Dan Morris, obviously, has been around with the PCL guys for a long time. We've had a lot of really, you know, Rob Graff was actually a really big component of this back when we first started, just because of his background as an attorney in terms of a lot of language we used and how we wrote up our um, operating procedures. So, you know, we had a lot of, again, some people come, come and gone, but there's been a lot of folks who still stayed with us because of their, just we're lucky, their love and passion of, of what the MCLA is. Yeah, it's been awesome. I've got I've gotten to know a lot of those guys over the years. It's been fun to see them, um, and get to know them as people as opposed to just like you know the figures that they were. But they've all been important in that development and growth of the MCLA, which is cool. And and we're at a very cool spot. And and kind of something cool that's come out of all that is uh, the MCLA Hall of Fame. You know, talk a little bit about kind of the origin of that, and you know maybe just a quick synopsis of how how it works. Um, well, it was really the sort of the brainchild of, uh, I think we've kind of chatted about it for a long time, but obviously having the great Jack Coyne, who's been with us for a number of years now, it was sort of his, his project he took on. He said it was time to do it. And, uh, you know, as executive director of the MCLA, you know, it sort of fell under his guidance to sort of get started and figure out who was going to be on the committee. And he's got some great guys in the committee that have agreed. And some guys who aren't even in the MCLA anymore, which is great to have some folks that are still, you know, care enough about the MCLA to still be involved. And so they, there is a nominating committee and, you know, their job is to essentially come up with who the, you know, the folks are they're going to get into the, into the MCLA Hall of Fame. And so we are going to do it yearly. 
Uh, we've had a lot of, obviously, a lot of great folks over our long, you know, history uh, to, to be it that we certainly want to recognize. And it's, it, I know with any hall of fame, whether it's, you know, you know, whether it's baseball, football, lacrosse, whatever it is, you know, there's a lot of people that, you know, certainly deserve the honor. It's just going to take us some time to, to, to make sure we do it the right way. And not just, we don't want to have classes of 30 people, you know, cause right. we want to make sure the people that do get in or, or, you know, are highlighted and, and their contributions are, or, or, like I said, our, their contributions are highlighted. We're not just kind of glossing over, you know, reading a bunch of names and being done with it. So, right. Right. you know, you know, we, we have tied in sort of their, their banquet, so to speak, with the national tournament. Uh, we believe it's really important for the guys who are, you know, the teams that are still remaining. We do a dinner with the, the teams that are in the finals. Uh, but it's nice to have those guys there so they can hear a little bit about the history and where all this, you know, came from. Because, you know, what we play in now that what the MCLA is now is, is, is obviously a far cry from what it was when this thing started, you know, many, many years ago. So it's, right. it's great that those young guys can, can really understand and appreciate the, that this, this didn't happen overnight and that it took a lot of dedication, a lot of folks to commit their time and efforts. And, and again, we still had some really highly skilled players on the player front that we would certainly want to highlight, uh, you know, back in the day. So it's, it's really important for us. The player thing will certainly be the hardest thing for us to, to probably get a handle on in terms sure. of how we honor those kids because we've had so many great ones, but, you know, at least administratively why, um, you know, it's, it's been, you know, we've got, we got some great administrators and, and coaches that have done some wonderful and just amazing things for the MCLA that we're really proud to make sure we're, we're showcasing them in the right way. Sure. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, I think it's a great thing. I'm, I'm glad the MCLA is doing it. It's cool. It, I think the committee has nailed it in terms of people who are being inducted into the Hall of Fame. I think it's great. Um, but moving on from that, so uh, Nationals is moving sites this year. So we spent a few years in California. Well, let's go back. We we started the first Nationals run by the MCLA. Was that in Texas at Pizza Park? Uh, um, you're going to make me go back on the history. I feel like that sounds about right. Um, yeah. Or, well, it might have been Blaine, actually. It might have been Blaine. or I don't know if that was USLA at that time. Anyhow, so we were in Texas for a little bit, and then we went out to uh, Colorado, and then to California, and then to Utah, and now we're back in Texas, a different spot than than the first time in Round Rock. You know, tell us about the decision making process in terms of choosing that site over other sites, if there were other sites. I don't even know. Um, yeah, uh, we, we, it's yeah, it's not something we take lightly by any means. I mean, I, we really enjoyed our time in California. I think a lot of teams enjoyed California just for what California is. Uh, you know, the problem with California is you now are coasting our national tournament and we obviously have a lot of East coast teams. We have a lot of teams in the right. middle of the country. And so our real goal, uh, in terms of trying to find a location after deciding to leave Utah, um, was trying to try to get a little more central if we could, obviously there's some issues when it comes to weather in some of the, you know, like the St. Louis's or places like that. But Matt Holman, our tournament director, uh, basically, you know, we have a RFP that we put out. And he goes to this thing called um, Connect. Oh, what's it called? Connect. You know, Connect. It's some, it, basically, it's a it's an organization that does a great job. Where if you have an event, you go to the you sign up for this conference they do, and it's free for us to attend. We just got to we just got to pay for our flights. Um, they even usually pay for our hotels too. But basically, all these um, visitor bureaus or facilities look at your look at your RFP and decide if it's something they want to bid on. And you basically, it's like speed dating. You sit in this little booth. It's like, a, like it's, it's, it's reverse that you'd normally see at a convention where we, the MCLA and there's, I mean, I mean this, this thing, I went with it, went with Matt to it in Pittsburgh uh, four or five years ago. Um, and I mean, it is packed. I mean, it is unbelievable. The amount of people that have 
you know, whether it's frisbee, whether it's fishing, whether it's sailing, whether I mean, all sorts of sports. And then it's not even just sports; it's other conventions that take place. Right. So basically, you're bidding. You know, we're I'm sorry, those folks are bidding for us to come to their facility. And so, you know, RFP lists out, you know, number of fields we need, you know, airports, blah, 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 blah. So basically every 15, 20 minutes, someone comes by your table um, or you agree to meet with them. You know, obviously if a group like from Hawaii wanted to meet with us, we probably would say no, even though it would sound great. (laughs) It would sound great. But, you know, in the end, that wouldn't do us a whole lot of wealth considering everybody would have to fly. Um, But anyway, so all these cities come to us, whether it's Raleigh, Durham, Austin, places in Florida, California, Oregon, Wisconsin. We met with so many different folks. And then basically Matt and I would narrow it down. And Jack's been involved in this now too, a little bit more in the last couple of years since he's been with us. And we try to figure out a number of different components. You know, one, one, what are the fields like? Are we going to a place that has a sufficient number of fields, has hotels that our kids can afford, our teams can afford, pardon me. Um, and really we're, you know, location being number one. And what does that provide us airport wise? You know, obviously we made, you know, the decision to go to Greenville a number of years ago sounded great to us on paper. You know, in the end, you know, that's why we were only there for one year. It made real quick. I'm sorry, we were there for two years. We didn't go back for our third year, but it made real quick sense for us that it wasn't appealing. Our member teams were letting us know this wasn't working for them. Um, yeah. We thought we thought through. We thought we had thought through everything. Now I was on the board at this time, but we thought uh, that we had kind of worked through enough scenarios that should work for everybody. But in the end, it didn't. So uh, Texas became a really good lo- location for us because we figured it was about as central as you can get to a point um, without getting up too much near weather issues we always used to have in St. Louis for many, many years back in the day. Um, and we also didn't have a lot of bids from places that were all that great outside of, you know, it's, it's not, it's, it was really, it's really easy for people to always send me notes and emails and texts like, why aren't we going here? Why are we going there? Well, we have to have a place to play first of all, and a place that wants us to play there, you know, and a lot of places that are soccer facilities, it's tough to get them to give you fields for an entire day and night because they have leagues and tournaments of their own. And so our scheduling of how we run our tournament, you know, I shouldn't say pigeonholes us, but makes it a, a challenging to a point in some, in, for some locations. And so it just doesn't work out. And there's some locations where we just don't go because we just know it's going to be really difficult to get our teams there. You know, there's a great new facility down in Foley Beach, Alabama. Sounds, I mean, the facility, if you saw the, the, saw the facility, it would blow, it looks fantastic. Problem is it's in Foley Beach, Alabama. <laughs> so getting to Foley is there's there's no airport within an hour of it, and the only airports that are within an hour of it or so are kind of remote. So you would have to do a lot of connecting flights, right. and so we have to take facilities like that off the list. Um, but we did. We we tried to find places in Chicago and and other places like that that we thought would work from a central location. But in the end, and talking to some other folks, uh, the women's uh, uh, WCLA has their national tournament around Rock. Uh, we talked to some folks from uh, Ultimate Frisbee that did one there, and they couldn't rave any more about it if they wanted to. They said the staff is amazing, the fields are great. You know, Austin's only you know thirty minutes away, so there's hotels in Round Rock, but there's also hotels in Austin. And Austin's a great airport. Austin services at least five different airlines, all of which are aren't just Delta, so to speak, or you know United. It serves Southwest and Frontier, so there are some less expensive airlines. And what we also do is we usually check choose about five or six cities in America, like Boston, you know, Seattle, LA, Denver, and just try to make sure that all those sort of cities as a mainstay or a central point could fly to those, those, uh, to a location for a, for a reasonable 
you know, flight amount, or could people bus it from certain areas if they could want to bus it? And so that was a decision why Round Rock won. And we, it was really close. We had some great facilities in, in Florida we really liked. But then, then again, now we're talking the East Coast, West Coast thing. And I think our real goal is to try to eliminate really pushing to one coast over the other if we can help it. Sure, sure. That's great. Has uh, I know there's been conversations in the past about um, this idea of adjusting the national tournament, um, you know, like making it not be the four games in six days. You know, has there been any chatter about that or is that something that's just not even a feasibility or? Uh, currently, I mean, it does come up and, and we've tried to research different opportunities. I mean, you know, I know our longtime friend, Chris Malone would always push it. Well, the NCAA does this, the NCAA does that. Well, we don't have the money of those to have that NCAA. You know, I would love to have a Final Four weekend, but you know, how do you set it up and how do you set up regionals? How do you set up who's going to, who's going to pay to fly these teams, you know, back to back weekends, um, right. it's a, it's a hefty, hefty cost, I think in, in a hefty, um, undertaking. I know it's some, we've, we have discussed a little bit about going back to back weekends. Um, but again, that would require someone to travel twice. Uh, right. now if we do a regional, it could obviously discount that, that, that travel a little bit for some teams, but then it also puts a limit on, you know, a team having to turn around and figure out how to travel somewhere with maybe within four days notice. Cause you know, if you win your regional, you have to be somewhere in the next place by Thursday or Friday. How is that going to be handled? Especially if it's, you know, a thousand miles away or 2000 miles away. So, um, we, we, right. we have played around a little bit. Uh, I, I can't say we've ever consensus come to a consensus where we say, this is the way it should be done. You know, in the current format, yes, it's not, the perfect one, but we don't know if there actually is ever going to be a perfect one for how the MCLA can operate financially, you know, and more operationally in terms of staffing, uh, you know, and everything else that goes into play, you know, if, you, if you're going to actually do separate weekends and separate tournaments or separate area locations. Yeah. I mean, and, and not to mention, like, there's something very, very cool about the way the MCLA tournament's set up. You know, this idea of, you know, everyone's in one spot. I mean, you actually get to see other teams, you see the other jerseys. It's, it's a pretty cool event. And, you know, a great collection of lacrosse. And I know, sure, by the time you get to Saturday, is every team at their peak performance? Probably not. But, you know, I think it's, I, I don't know. I, I'm not totally for changing. I can see some value in it because you could add, you could potentially deepen the field maybe. So like, you know, Division One has 16 teams. You might be able to go to 24 or something like that. But I don't know. I, I also yeah, like the setup it is, as is. I mean, I've been there. Yeah, obviously, I've been a part of it for a long time. And I, I love the... It's a, it's a, it's a fine line, the fine line between running a festival and running a national tournament, you know? And so uh, we get that, uh, and, and we're, we want, we try to do as best we can to make our member teams feel special as, you know, considering what our, our limitations are, you know, again, we don't have a full group of full-time people, right? I mean, every year, Matt and Jack and everyone else, we're scrambling to find people that can work the tournament to help us fill those slots. Sure. Um, and so, it's a, it's a difficult process when you don't have sort of the backing of a big national organization like you know the NCAA does as a as an overall uh, overall group, and so I think for what we provide, we do a pretty. I mean, I would say most people probably that get the experience to go to nationals thoroughly enjoy their experience. Now, granted, there's some coaches and some teams that go into it with only one mindset, and that is they're going to win a national tournament and they don't care about all the fluff and you know pomp and circumstance and all that kind of stuff. So we don't try to make it too much, but again, we're just trying to do what we think can make the tournament just that much cooler. Like whether it's post-game interviews or, you know, giving out uh, tchotchkes to the guys so they can commemorate their time being there. I mean, you know, uh, those are the kind of things we think are important. And again, the, the tournament itself has, has matured in, in a lot over the years. I remember we used to do 
speeches. I remember we used to have a barbecue, everyone together, and there, there'd be talks and all that. And we got feedback that people didn't like that, you know, because it just took time away from the team. So again, some folks, some guys are really focused on their teams and that's all they care about. And right. so again, trying to balance all that together to make sure it's a, 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 a good tournament um, is, 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 can be difficult. But I think for the most part, Matt has done a tremendous job because he shoulders a lot of it of himself, but we've got some other great folks who have helped make this tournament very successful the last, last number of years. Yeah, Matt Holmes done a great job as tournament director. Tournaments have gone pretty well since he's uh, been in charge. So, uh, good job. Lord Thanks, knows Matt. we have our hiccups, and again, we you know whether it's scoreboard issues sometimes or <laughs> whatever it may be. Those are all things that you know we we hope we get square away, but you know it, it, sometimes we're just limited in what we can do. And we try to explain that the best we can to coaches and and some folks that are involved. And you know, it's not that we we hold it lightly. We're not we don't like to sit around and go, Oh boy, it really sucked. Our scoreboard didn't work today. No, we, those things are valuable to us. And you know, the feedback we get are things we try to do to try to make the tournament better each year, uh, based on what folks, you know, tell us what was good or bad. And so, you know, unfortunately we couldn't have our last one in, in Salt Lake. Cause I, I really enjoyed Salt Lake. I know some people thought it wasn't as exciting and sexy as California, but you know, from an ease of an airport, that place was easy to get out of. I mean, oh, know, yeah. the surroundings were wonderful. We had plenty of fields, you know, so a, a lot of it, I thought, was a was a great site for what our tournament is. I mean, you know, I, and then um, again, the feedback we've gotten from some other groups that have used Round Rock really has me excited that we're we're going to have a great facility. And I'm, I'm looking for. I'm, I have not seen it myself in person. I'll see it this coming August for our summer meetings from CLA. But you know, I, I'm excited just because we've talked to some people I trust uh, that have, have used the facility for their organizations, and they they couldn't they couldn't say anything negative about it if they wanted to. They said everything about it was a positive experience. Awesome. That's great to hear. I'm, I'm excited for it as well. And, uh, I'm looking forward to all of us being there in, in Texas. Um, you know, speaking of the 2021 season, you know, there obviously was an announcement of the new conference, the ALC, but, uh, and, and maybe you can touch on that, but also just what, what does the MCLA see going forward for the 2021 season or do they know, or, I mean, there's obviously a lot of moving parts, right? None of us really know what's going to happen even next week. <laughs> sort of that, yeah, sort of that hundred thousand dollar question. We we just don't know. I mean, you know, um, the ALC is a great formation. Uh, obviously, the SCLC had grown pretty tremendously geographically and in terms of number of teams, and it seemed like the right fit for them uh, to make a you know sort of a divide and create a new conference in that middle Atlantic area, which is has got some real potential for growth. I believe. Um, you know, you hate to bring it up, but the, like a team like Furman might be a potential growth. But we also have a lot of nickel teams in that area. You know, like my alma mater, JMU, you know, Old Dominion, et cetera. There's a lot of schools in that area that maybe the MCA will fit them better with a less geographic, you know, size conference with something more concentrated like the ALC is. Uh, and so maybe there's some real opportunity for us to, to gain some growth of folks that want to join our association. And we know, we know we're not for everybody, but maybe there's an opportunity here for us to, to get some new, some new squads in that area and build up a little bit. So for I'm sure. really excited about the ALC. I know you and and Kyle have done a lot of work for that. And, you know, we're excited to see it get off the ground and see where it's going to be come 2021. And, and with 2021, I mean, you know, we've got a committee going with a few of us uh, to start talking about, you know, what are, what do we need to start being prepared for? So uh, Don Vince is helping us out a lot, um, you know, in terms of just helping us track what colleges are announcing in terms of what their schools are going to be doing. I mean, that, that, you know, like South Carolina just announced it. What was it? West Virginia just came out too, I think, where they're going to do a very condensed fall semester. Uh, you know, um, where they'll all be done before Thanksgiving. Uh, and, you know, they're going to, I think they're even talking about, like, uh, I think it was West Virginia where they're going to go to school and potentially six, seven days or six days a week to help speed that up. No breaks. So no one leaves. And so they stay there and they're, they're done. I guess what we don't know is what is, if you're ending early, does that mean you're starting later come wintertime? So you're keeping kids 
you know, away from colder weather. So they're all indoors more. I, I don't, I don't, again, I don't, I'm not on that side of things yeah. when it comes administrative school wise, but you know, I, I, we have to start tracking all this so we can start being prepared. And we've started chatting a little bit about what we may have to do MCLA wise. Like maybe we're gonna have to reduce the out of conference stuff. Maybe we're going to have to reduce the number of games people play um, as a minimum, you know, and what does this mean in jeopardy for the national tournament? Now we have plenty of time to figure out the national tournament in terms of whether we need to pull the plug or not, but if we're going to have a truncated season where we're just not going to have the full amount of games being played and contract, we don't want to force something if it's just not able. And plus we don't even know if teams will be allowed to travel to nationals, right? You know, like a team in California could certainly play, you know, 10 games and play out of conference games without even leaving the state, (laughs) Um, you know, traveling between two, you know, two conferences out there. And so is it fair to compare that? Cause they're, you know, they can't leave the state, but they can play a bunch of games versus maybe again, I'm just going to throw it out there. Maybe West Virginia where they're, they're not going to be allowed to travel outside of the state of West Virginia. We don't know. Uh, we just right. don't know what's coming. So we're going to start preparing some scenarios. Uh, but I think it's going to be more of a, once we get people back on campus in the fall, what their administrators are going to tell their members or their schools um, about what they can and can't do. And obviously, uh, you know, maybe athletics is going to lead the way for us. But I, I am worried that since most of us all fund recreation and club sports, we typically don't get as much support that way as, say, the football and basketball programs do on our campus. So I'm a little worried that it's going to be a little more knee-jerk reaction for recreation departments to want to say, oh, no, we're just going to start shutting things down, or you can't do this, you can't do that. We're just going to have to kind of wait it out until we hear from everybody by end of fall meetings. Yeah, no, you know, I've actually been really impressed with Virginia Tech's rec- sports. They've been very thorough in their discussions and not like, you know, not hastily making decisions. And right. so I think, uh, yeah, I think hopefully we'll be okay. Virginia Tech just announced on Monday that they are going to be in person, kind of blend in person online from August to Thanksgiving and then Thanksgiving to December will be all virtual. So basically they're sending kids home right. at Thanksgiving and saying stay home for until it seems spring. to be something we're seeing more of is that we're again little by little. Um, you know, obviously there's some California schools that are, you know, staying virtual for all fall. Right. Um, you know, obviously we don't govern any fall lacrosse in UCLA. Our our season starts, you know, when the regular season starts. And right. so it, you know, whether it's a competitive advantage or disadvantage or athletically for a kid to not be around on campus versus a kid who can be, I, you know, we'll have to wait and again, I hate to say it's a wait and see game. We're gonna start coming up with some ideas about how we could curb things, but you know, there is a real strong chance and we hate to say it, but we have to look at it that, you know, well, we don't even know what's going to happen to conference tournaments, but the national tournament could be very well impacted if we can't have, like I said, a full season for us to evaluate teams and get into nationals in, you know, in the right way uh, for our, you know, whether it's our, you know, uh, whether it's our group or committee that decides on large bids or whatever, or again, it could obviously be impacted AQs because AQs are tied to out of conference games, things like that. So there obviously is going to probably be some lessening of, of um, restrictions and restrictions, but rules we have in place in terms of competition within the NCLA. Yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be a lot of stuff, you know, but I mean, it makes sense to send them home with Thanksgiving, right? You kind of buy yourself essentially a two month quarantine if you do that, because they're gone from, middle November all the way till middle of January. So you, I think that's probably a, a smart move for schools. And really so, what is it? It's like two, I mean, typically, like you said, if you're coming back like late in, late in uh, November, you're probably only on campus for two or three weeks at, at max anyway. I mean, right. so, but yeah, but yeah, using that two or three weeks to your advantage can be a really, can be a positive thing for those schools. I just, I guess we're more concerned about, again, if you're starting late, are they going to look to start? I mean, ending earlier, they look to start late come January again. What does that mean for the MCLA in terms of kids being able to be on fields and be outside, etc.? 
Yeah, I, I imagine all of our teams will look slightly uh, more unpolished this coming season than we have in the past. <laughs> yeah, we, we may want to do virtual cross and training all we want, but I'm not sure that's going to – yeah, unless you're, unless you're playing together, you're right. There will be some areas that will be not exactly where we all want to see things as coaches. Yeah, well, the I don't have any hair, so I don't have to worry about losing it, but you might have a couple more fall out. <laughs> I got a couple left. Uh, that's funny. Uh, awesome. Well, we really appreciate having you on. Uh, any any last words for the people? No, I think it's, it's great what you're doing and, uh, and helping keep people uh, tied to the game right now, Ponch. So keep up the good work and look forward to hearing more of your uh, podcast down the road. Thanks, man. I really appreciate it. It's been really fun. And if you haven't listened to our podcast before, check us out. Uh, rate us, review us, subscribe, uh, like us if you can. And you can follow us on Instagram at, at 101 underscore LAX and on Twitter and Facebook at 101 across. You can also follow the MCLA at MCLA on all social media networks except for Instagram, which is at uh, the underscore MCLA. Until next time, see ya.